I grew up in a Christian household, but we never went to a local church. Having no relationship with Jesus and no biblical knowledge of who he was, um, I walked away from my faith when I was a teenager. Um, I spent about 10 years just in self-loathing and self-destructive behaviors. And I really got to the point in my life where I knew something needed to change and that my way of living was not working for me. Um, and so really, I found an ad on Facebook for Redemption Church and felt a supernatural pull to be there. And church was never an option for me. It wasn't something I was thinking of, but um, I just knew that I needed to be there. And that next week was Easter Sunday. And I remember sitting in my car and just praying to God, like, if you're real, just show me who you are. Lord, I just want to know who Jesus is. And those were literally Byron's first words out of his mouth. Who is Jesus? It's the most important question you'll ever ask yourself. And I felt like that whole sermon was just written for me. After a few months, I gave my life to Jesus. I was baptized in the church. I joined a small group. Um, I joined the welcome team and really my life just transformed. I got married in this church and now I'm, I've been raised up as a leader. And um, really now I get a chance to develop and grow teams that help others experience the same life change that I've experienced. And so, yeah, that's my story. Good morning, Redemption Church. How y'all doing? Come on. Hey, let's start off this morning with a scenario. I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to connect with it. I want you to think about all the thoughts that pop into your head or all the feelings that you have, okay? Here's the question. What if you woke up tomorrow and didn't know who you were? What if you woke up tomorrow and had no idea who you were? What if you didn't recognize the place that you were in? You couldn't find your ID? None of this was familiar to you? Do people depend on me? Do I have a family? Do I have kids that need me? Do I have a wife? Do I have a husband? Who am I? And then in this scenario, whoa. That might have been. Check, check, check. Y'all hear me? I was like, what is going on? <laughs> All right. You guys are super creative, so we can jump right back in. Here we go. So we don't know what's going on. We don't know who we are. We don't know who to go to. You don't know if you have people dependent on you. You don't know if you have a job. You don't know what you do. Who are you? What do you do? Who do you go to? You don't know who to go to to find out who you are. And you don't even know who to trust to go to because... You don't even know who you are, so you definitely don't know who they are. You don't know if you can trust what they have to say. And so whenever I share this scenario with you, you know, you might be feeling one of two ways. You might feel extremely filled of anxiety and fear, or you might feel super relieved and you're like, whew, fresh start, let's get out of here. You know, it could go either way, but either way, the fact is that if you don't know who you are, you're much less likely to contribute to the world in a meaningful way and to the people around you in a meaningful way. 
you would also have no idea what sort of value you hold as a person because you don't know who you are. And this is my fear is that so many of us walk through life every day and spend our entire lives and never actually know who we really are. For some of us that are in here today, you've went your entire life and you have no idea who you really are. You've allowed the world to come in and tell you who you really are. You've allowed um, your successes and your failures to tell you who you are. For some of you, you did find out who you were. You found Jesus. And I'm going to explain this out in a minute, but maybe that was you. You found out who you are, and then you forgot who you are. And so I want to come with a word today to encourage you guys um, and to really show you what we have to look here with our identity. Who you are decides what you do. Your identity decides how you live. And so often we, we, we get it the wrong way around, right? Like the world would tell you that um, what you do decides and dictates who you are. But we see here in the scripture that that's just not the case. And so I want to welcome you to Redemption Church. We are three weeks into our series in the book of Colossians called Everyday Saints. And we've spent a lot of time talking about identity. And uh, speaking of, my name is Ethan. I am the discipleship coordinator here at Redemption Church. So I'm over small groups and summer sessions and winter sessions. How many people are in winter sessions in here right now? Come on, let's go. Let's go. Love that. Yeah. And I'm also over the uh, men's and women's ministries as well. I work with the leaders that are over that. Um, week one and week two, Pastor Byron spoke on what to look for in a new church and how we find our true identity. And that as we as Christians don't find our identity in what we do, but in who God says that we are. We find ourselves still dealing with sins in our lives but then God still calls us a saint. And you wonder, how is this possible? Well, it's called grace. We find ourselves still dealing with these sins, and he calls us a saint. And because of that, we have a grace for ourselves and for others around us not to be perfect, for us to make mistakes and continue to move forward. Our identity it is not in how well we do something or what we do. It's in who God says we are. And if you're a believer in Jesus, you might be thinking to yourself and trying to wrap your mind around this, like, how, how is this possible? How, how does God's grace work in my life? And, and for those of you who are non-believers in here, you're like, I literally don't understand what you're saying. This doesn't make any sense. What, like, everything about who I am is dictated by what I do. Well, we're going to talk about that today, and hopefully we'll find an answer that suffices for you guys. And uh, I'll just go ahead and say the quick answer is that Jesus Christ died in our place for our sins as the ultimate sacrifice to bring us back into right relationship with God, our Father. And we're going to kind of break some of that down. But this brings me to the text today. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to Colossians 1, 15 through 23. And if you don't have a Bible, it's okay. We're going to have the scriptures up on the screen. The title of the sermon today is, Do I Really Need Jesus? Let's ask that question together. I want you to say it with me. Do I really need Jesus? That was, that was pretty good. We'll work on it. Now turn to your neighbor in the seat next to you and ask them, do I really need Jesus? Jesus? 
Now turn to your other neighbor that you ignored and say, can we get them some gum? <laughs> Church people love their coffee. you like, ooh, Jesus saved your soul, but I wish he saved your breath. All right, so instead of reading everything up front in our text today, I want to take you one bit at a time. If you are a Christian, you know that what Jesus did on the cross is so important to us. And if you're not a Christian, you also know that what Jesus did on the cross for Christians is so important to us, and it's also so important to you. You might not know it yet, but it is. And What Jesus did on the cross is so important to us, but only because of who Jesus really is. Here is the first reason for why you really do need Jesus. Because of who Jesus really is, if you're taking notes, point one. So we'll look at verses 15 through 18 right here. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So whenever I was reading this and you were reading along with me, you might at first glance just think to yourself, I think he just said a bunch of the same thing over and over again in different ways. And in one sense he did, but in another sense, um, there is so much to unpack in here. It is so deep and full of theology about who Jesus is and what it means for us. And I'll be honest with you guys, whenever I was sitting here reading it, um, reading up on this scripture, and I was was looking at some commentaries and stuff, it seemed like every single commentary was like, this is the most important scripture about Jesus in the Bible. And I was like, no pressure, (laughs) got it. (laughs) And I thought to myself, how in the world am I going to do justice to this text in one sermon, and the, the fact is, is that I'm not going to. You know, I could, spend, I could spend two or three weeks just trying to work through this with you guys. Pastor Byron could spend two or three years working through this. You guys know how much he loves to preach. <laughs> so that actually brings up another point, and that is um, that this is a good reason to be in a small group. We're starting up small groups next month. Come on. Y'all who have been in small groups know I just sounded so Southern. Y'all who have been in small groups know. Got the meat and potatoes at the house. Yeah, um, I can't believe I just did that. Um, Yeah, but you know that small groups are so important, and they really are important for those of you who haven't been a part of one at Redemption Church. It's an opportunity for you to come in and look at the scriptures that we go over on a Sunday in midweek with a group of believers, and you guys can talk this stuff out. You can kind of figure out where what the deeper meanings of some of these things are, and then also you can bring your questions that you have for it. Because, um, you know, Sunday morning is not a Q&A, but over at someone's house over dinner definitely is. And so I highly recommend that you jump into a small group next month whenever we do that. That's a shameless plug for small groups. Look at me being a good discipleship coordinator. Come on. All right, let's give this a shot. Uh, give this a shot. Y'all ready? Look, Doug was ready. Anybody else ready in here? Doesn't matter. We're going to do it anyway. Um, 
we all have this idea in our minds of who Jesus is. You already have in your head, no matter what your background is, this idea of who Jesus is. You know, for some of us, Jesus is just a good teacher. For some of us, he is a blueprint of an archetype that we see all throughout all the stories in the history of the world. Uh, to some of us, Jesus is the little baby in the manger and swaddling, swaddling clothes. To some of us, uh, you think of Jesus as this philosopher who was trying to overthrow Rome and do something crazy. I don't know. I've seen a lot of conspiracy theories. Uh, to some of you, you see Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But Jesus is, in a way, all of those things. But I, I think we often miss out on considering who Jesus really is. So who is Jesus? Well, Paul tells us right here in Colossians. I want to give you seven different things that Jesus is. And we'll start with number one, Jesus is God. Verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus was not a created being. If he were created, then he could not be God. In the creation story back in Genesis, the Bible tells us that, that we, man, were made in the image of God. We were created in the image of God. Here, Paul says he is the image of God. And if we look in the book of John, it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then a little bit further down in John, it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. We have seen the invisible God through Jesus. And then secondly, in, in here we see the firstborn of all creation. Now, I know sometimes uh, verbiage like this can, can trip somebody up, and I totally understand it. You could be like, well, how could Jesus be the firstborn of all creation and be God? How, how is that possible? If God created him, then he can't be God. That's a logical fallacy. Totally. I get it. I understand what you're saying. Um, but I would also hope that you would understand that the Bible in its original language was not English. And so we trans translate words over. So it's important to go back and look and see what it says in its, ori in in its original language. And Paul here in this, um, in this text, he actually uses a Greek term, prototokos. Yeah. I don't even know if I said that right. But I do know that it means and is referring to a position or a status more than a chronological birth. In Jewish culture back then, um, someone who was labeled as the firstborn was saying that this is someone who will receive the inheritance of the father. And so if Paul was talking about a chronological birth, then he would use a totally different Greek word that I'm not going to try to pronounce if he was refer referring to the chronological order of creation. I'm just getting a little bit nerdy on you guys, but I know that some of you have come in here and you have questions about this stuff. So I want to I want to bring up just like a brief answer for you. So whenever he talks about Jesus as the firstborn, he's actually talking about Jesus in being in the highest position above everyone and everything else as the rightful heir to the inheritance of God the Father. Jesus is the firstborn. And for those of you who know the Bible, um, 
pretty well you know about uh, Jacob and Esau. This is a great example where Esau was first born chronologically. He was the first one who came out of the womb. However, Jacob ended up being the firstborn who received the inheritance of God. And so Jesus is God. Number two, Jesus is creator of the universe. Verse 16 says, for by him all things were created. The Bible also says in Hebrews that by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. And we've already established that Jesus is the word of God that he is the literal creator of the universe. It wasn't like there was God and then Jesus came along. Jesus was there and he took place in creating the universe. We're talking about everything. We're talking about the room you're in right now, the people who are next to you, the, the trees outside, the mountains. And you can get as big of a scale as you want, as far as you could go, the stars, the, the sun, the planets, all of everything that we don't even know exists. And then you can also go to the smallest detail in your body, the smallest microcosm in your body. And he created every single one of these things. Jesus is not only God, but Jesus is creator of the universe. Number three, Jesus is king of kings. Verse 16, for by him all things were created. We're back on that. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Jesus is the king of kings. How do we know this? Because he said, all of these things, they were created through me and for me. You can't say that if you're not a king, that someone was created for you for you. And he's saying, I don't care who you're talking about. I don't care who your president is. I don't care who your king is. I don't care who the government authority is. All of these authorities were for me and will ultimately be used for my glory, not their glory in the wide scheme of things. So Jesus is the king of kings. No one is over him and everyone is under him. Jesus is the king of kings. Number four, Jesus is eternal. Verse 17 says, and he is before all things. If you are before all of creation, before time itself, then you must be eternal. So I feel like that's pretty explanatory on its own, that, that Jesus was there before the beginning, and he will be there after the end. So Jesus is is eternal. Uh, what I want you to do is connect what I'm saying to you with this list of who Jesus is and see if it lines up with what you already know about Jesus. And some of the things might line up and some of them won't. It will add um, value into what you already know about Jesus if you think about Jesus on a cosmological level, that Jesus, this guy, came to earth and did what he did, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But number five, Jesus is sustainer of the universe. We look back in verse 17, it says, and, before, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In him all things hold together since the beginning of time. In him all things hold together. Jesus is the sustainer of the universe. You're like, Ethan, what does that mean? I have no idea. <laughs> I just know that when I think about it too long, it really makes my head hurt. 
And I think it's really cool. And then I also do know that Trevor has a hard time sustaining his uh, attention span for more than like six seconds. So I'm like, if Jesus can sustain the universe from the beginning of the time until now. Look, some of y'all don't know Trevor, I guess. <laughs> I just told him I was going to get him back from the last sermon. He roasted me. Um, but yeah, so not only is Jesus the creator of the universe, he is God, but he also is the sustainer of the universe. So it's not that he did something on the front end and then just left us be, but he's actually the whole reason that we're able to hold together today and tomorrow and the next day and the days before and the days after. It's because Jesus is the sustainer of the universe. Number six, Jesus is the head of the church. 18 says, he is the head of the body, the church. Oftentimes, Paul refers to the church individuals and as a whole as the body of the church. The almighty, eternal God, creator and sustainer of the universe is also so powerful and personal that he will lead every individual who makes up his church. Pastor Byron is the lead pastor here at Redemption, but Jesus is the head of this church. He's the head of this local church. And just like he's the head of this local church, he's the head of the Big C Church. And just like he's the head of the Big C Church, we can take it to the smaller end. For my men, you are the leader of your household. You're the head of your household. But Jesus should be the head, the, the, the ultimate head of your household. And if Jesus is not, or you're not living as such, where Jesus is the ultimate head of your house, your whole family starts to fall apart. I don't have to convince you of this. You already know. And maybe you didn't know that's what's going on, but that plays a giant part in totally messing with the way and the structures and the functions of your family. So Jesus is the head of the body, and he's the head of the church. So take advantage of such a powerful God who would choose to be your own personal leader and start living like him, which leads me into number seven, that Jesus is preeminent. I'll be honest with you guys. I had to look up what that meant. It's like, yeah, I don't know if y'all know how this is, but it's like, you know, yeah, like, I know what preeminent is, but then whenever you're going to stand up in front of 300 people on a Sunday, you're like, let me make sure, <laughs> you know? And, um, and so I looked it up, and uh, verse 18, it continues. It says, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, referring to his resurrection, that in everything he might be preeminent. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Jesus is not just a prominent character. He is our preeminent creator. Going to church on a Sunday is good, but it's not enough. Sharing a scripture on Facebook or Instagram is good, but it's not enough. Even having sex with your girlfriend, shout out to you if you've been holding strong on that. It's not enough. Jesus does not deserve to just be a prominent character in your life. He is our preeminent creator. He is above all and set apart. Having a little Jesus sprinkled into your schedule is not enough. Jesus is preeminent. He has the position of the most high. Jesus should not just be a priority. He should not even just be your top priority. He should be the very center of everything that you do. He is set apart. 
we got to stop thinking about it as, you know, Jesus is just one of the main things that I do. No, he's not a prominent character in your life. He deserves to be the preeminent creator in your life and sustainer in your life. And we need to live as such. Jesus is eternal God, creator and sustainer of the universe. He is the head of the church and every individual that makes up the church. And he deserves the preeminent position in your life over everything and everyone. And that is the first reason why you really do need Jesus. Because of who he is. And here's the second reason why you really do need Jesus. Because of what Jesus really did. We're going to look at verse 19 and 20. It says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus brings you the gift of peace, both eternal and now. If you've been walking with Jesus for any amount of time now, I don't need to convince you that everything in this world tries to pull away at your peace. And Jesus is the one who instills peace inside of us. Jesus dying on the cross was such an ugly and tragic thing. It was, it was just as bad as it gets, but it was also a beautiful and precious thing. Why? Because God was actually reconciling all things to himself. That's what it says, that you are not just saved, but you are being reconciled back to him. One of my favorite things about this verse in particular is that it's a reminder that we serve a God who is proactive in pursuing relationship with his people and his creation. He is not some God in a galaxy far, far away. He is a God that takes the broken world and ultimately makes things right. He did something for us that we could never do. He took our sins and had them nailed to the cross so that we could be reconciled back to God. Jesus brings the gift of peace, and he carries authority in your life with that peace above everything that you experience or circumstances that you run into. God took one of the most excruciating devices of torture and death, the cross. And he reconciled it to himself and made it as a beacon of hope and freedom and peace, not only in this life, but the next. If that doesn't show you how God works in our lives, then I don't know what will. It's a good example that he took the thing that killed him and made it the thing that redeems us. That's how he works. That's the nature of our God. He is a a God who takes the most tragic and painful things in our lives and he works them out for our good and for his glory. And he showed us that through this story of redemption of mankind through the cross. And he was only able to do that because Jesus is God. No one else could do that, but he could. Who Jesus is makes what he did so important and what he did for us actually defines our identity, which leads me into point three. The third reason that you really do need Jesus is because Jesus defines who you are. Verse 21, it says, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. 
that makes me very thankful that I was once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. I was an enemy of God. Not that God was an enemy of me, but I was against him. And even so, he reconciled us back to him by the flesh of his body being broken in his death. And why? In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. In Jesus, you live from identity and not for identity. Everything else, everything else in the world will tell you that you need to do this in order to be this. But Jesus says, no, I'm making you this, and so therefore you can do anything. <laughs> in Jesus, you live from identity and not for identity. You and I are not perfect in any sort of the imagination or like even remotely close. You have things about you that you don't even have to worry if someone else doesn't like it about you because you don't like it about yourself. You have things in your life that you're doing wrong and actually you know are wrong. You have things in your life that you're hiding from everyone. I'm not trying to expose anybody right here, but if you feel in that, that's the Holy Spirit because I don't know what you're going through. But you are hiding from everyone and you know that it's wrong. We are not perfect. But in Jesus, you live from identity and not for identity. So whenever you give your life to Jesus, you can, you can answer this question this way. Who are you? Who are you? You are holy. You are blameless. You are above reproach before God. You are an everyday saint. It's not that you're ignoring the sin in your life. It's that despite the sin in your life, God's grace is so sufficient for us that he claims our identity more than our actions do. And in that, it actually gives us freedom to live in such a way that is glorifying to God. And then ultimately, what is your identity? That you are loved. Someone in here needs to know that today, that, that you are loved by the most awesome and powerful creator a personal God who died for you and was resurrected. And now you can say that you are loved, no matter what your past mistakes were, no matter what your future mistakes are going to be. At the end of the day, you are loved. And this actually opens up a freedom inside of you to say, I don't mind going and trying out new things. I don't mind uh, stepping out in a way that God is calling me to step out. Why? Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how bad it gets because I am loved. And then you are valued. Your identity is that you are valued. This reminds me of um, a story <clears throat> that took place around like 2014 where uh, there was this couple, they had a leak in their house. And so they went into the attic and I guess they had never been in the attic before because they saw this door that was locked. And uh, I, I thought that was kind of weird at first, but then I realized that, like, I've also never been in my attic. So, I mean, anyone could be living there, and I've been there for, like, a year and a half. have no idea. But uh, they, they see this door, and it's locked, and so they pry it open, and they found this, this beautiful oil painting in there. And it really was beautiful, and it, it was, like, unique, and it was like, oh, this is actually, like, something. And... 
they could have went a couple of different ways with it. You know, they could have put it on their wall. They could have um, brought it to the market in their town. And, you know, like, I don't know how much you would pay for, like, a, just a, a nice, pretty painting. But, you know, maybe they could have got, like, $100 for it. And that would have been cool. But they didn't do that. They took it to an expert. And they found out that this is, I know I'm saying his name wrong, Caravaggio painting. Uh, it's a Caravaggio painting. It turned out that it was a painting that was stolen a long time ago by another couple, and they died off or something happened to them. They ended up getting this house, and then they found this painting. And so this painting that went from $100 maybe, even if that, went from $100 to being valued at $137 million. Now listen, the, the painting didn't change before it got checked by the experts. It was still the same painting all the way through. Like, yeah, it was pretty. It has its imperfections, all the things that art has. But there was only one thing that brought it its value, and it was finding out who the creator of the painting was. And so that's what I want to tell you today, that, like, you might not feel any different yesterday to today whenever you choose in on Christ, but you can know that because he is your creator, that it actually instills value inside of you because he created you, not because you did anything, but because he created you. And if he thought you were worthy of being created, then you carry value. In Christ, you are a good father. In Christ, you are a good husband. In Christ, you are consistent and faithful. In Christ, you are intentional and loving and powerful. How is this possible? Well, there's two ways. You are these things because Jesus says you are, even when you don't feel like it. And then also, in an active way, because, because of Jesus, through the Holy Spirit inside of you, you are now empowered to be better today than you were yesterday. And that's all because Jesus is God, and your identity is found in Jesus. It's a totally different way of thinking. In Jesus, you live from identity and not for identity. I hope you can see that. I hope that maybe you're encouraged by that or maybe you're convicted by that, that you've been trying to work for your identity and maybe even working for your identity in Jesus. When he says, hey, you can't do anything else for me to love you anymore. I love you as much as I love you. And it can't be any more than this. And so I wanna leave you with some application today. This is less of a to-do and more of a mindset. I want you to choose who you are going to be today. We will close with verse 23 to wrap it up. Now, Paul has just told us all of these things. He said, this is who Jesus is. He's our creator. He's our sustainer. He's God in the flesh. He talks about who Jesus is. He talks about what Jesus has done for us, that he did something that we couldn't do. Why? So just so that we would have an opportunity to be in relationship with him, that we could be seen as holy and blameless, even whenever we are imperfect before God. And what that means for you, that you get to make a choice here. And he says, all of this, and then he says, there's just one caveat there's just one word of warning and caution that I want to give you. Verse 23 says, If indeed you continue in the faith, 
stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. If you continue in the faith, who you are is your decision. Who you are is your decision. Paul says, this is all true for you. You can live in this promise, but only if you continue in the faith. If you hold on to the the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's not about how you started, it's about how you finish. Listen, it's like Pastor Byron said two weeks ago, your identity is received, it's not achieved. There's nothing that you can do. But at the same time, Jesus says to hold on. Paul says to hold on. It's not found in what you do, but it's, it's what you choose to accept. You get to make a choice to accept or release. You can choose to live in the promise or let go of the promise. Who you are is your decision. You get to wake up every morning and make this decision and say, I am in Jesus. I am in Jesus. I am in his promises. I am who he has called me to be. And I will go where he will go. Hold fast to the gospel, he said. And then Paul said, continue in the faith. He didn't say be perfect in the faith. He said to continue in the faith. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. That's why he says, hey, I saw that you sinned there, but you're a saint. And like, how does that make any sense? It doesn't. It's called grace. It goes above and beyond anything that we can actually put our minds to. You're like, is he really that good? Yeah, he's really that good. He says, continue in the faith. Continue in the faith. So now we have the opportunity and we are empowered that whenever we do make mistakes and whenever we do sin, that it doesn't actually shame us and trap us and condemn us into who we're not called to be, but we can actually say, no, I know I made this mistake, but I know who you say that I am, God. And so I'm stepping into that rather than my actions. I'm stepping into who you've called me to be. Who you are is your decision. So do I really need Jesus? Yes, you really do need Jesus. And you get to make that choice today and every day for the rest of your life.